welcome to the Modern Leader Podcast. This is a podcast on a mission to discover what the modern leader looks like. We sit down with some of the best leadership minds to hear how they've been challenged, how they think and feel, but most importantly, what they've learned. My name is Brookline and I'm your host. Today's guest has built a successful career as a CIO across healthcare, not-for-profit and private sector most recently operating as an interim and advisor for organisations and acting as a catalyst for transformation. I've been really excited to have her on the show, so I'm pleased to welcome Jo Smith. Hi, Jo. Hey, Brooke. Pleased to be here. Um, And yes, and first, I guess uh, the thing to comment there when we talk about transformation is really, you know, it is about business transformation, isn't it? Rather than digital transformation. Oh, definitely. Jo, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do then? So as you mentioned in the intro there, Brooke, I'm a CIO. I've been a CIO for quite a long time now across health and life sciences, pharmaceuticals originally, and then the NHS, then went out into the Middle East for a period of time. And when I came back, I really decided to focus on more of a portfolio career. So as you mentioned, since about the end of um, 2020, I've been doing interim work. I was group CIO at Manchester, largest trust in the country. I was at Great Ormond Street for a period of time. I did a little bit of time with primary care through an American organisation delivering service into the NHS. And then more recently, I was working at Step Change, the debt charity, and then uh, University Hospital Sussex, where I was CIO. And at the moment, I'm digital interim digital director at uh, Kettering General Hospital, part of the University Hospitals of Northampton. Um, and there I'm really playing quite a, an interesting role around business partnering and making sure Kettering Hospital gets the services it needs from a very newly formed group function across the university hospitals. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like a really great career, um, but I know Step Change, then they're not healthcare. No, no, that was, um, it's interesting. I won't, I won't bore you with how these things come about, but essentially I was involved in the stakeholder panel for the recruitment of the CIO at NCA, Lorna Allen. Uh, she was the Step Change CTIO. And so we got to know each other and she kind of introduced me to Phil Andrew, who was the CEO at Step Change at the time, because they weren't quite ready to replace their CTIO at Step Change. And so that's how I came to get the introduction and do uh, the interim role there for 10 months. And uh, that was a great learning because although there are a small charity, they're FCA regulated, which is clearly very unusual. So it's a quite a different model of charity. So that was great fun. Brilliant. A topic that I wanted to talk about today was transformation. And I know that from our previous conversations, you've suggested that um, we shouldn't be using the word digital transformation, but more business transformation. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, I think... Um I fully understand, and I've I've used digital transformation in the past, but I think sometimes we can get focused, therefore, on IT tools, systems, and solutions, when actually, you know, the transformation is the transformation of an organization in order for it to deliver on its purpose. So we're transforming business process. We're supporting the transformation of design of organizations and the services they deliver, and digital's the enabler. So I think it's a little bit misleading and potentially risky to call it a digital transformation because then the focus is automatically on the digital components rather than the the wider purpose and objective. Mm -hmm. It's a great point. I know that BRM or business relationship management is something that 
you talk about a lot, Joe, but it'd be good to get your definition of BRM and, and also mm. why is it important? So there's a lot of nuance to it and it can be many things to many people depending on the size and maturity of an organisation. But I suppose if I had to distill it down, it's the role that advocates for both the business, if you like, the organisation as a whole and what it needs out of a technology or digital function. But it's also advocating for and supporting that digital function so that it's able to deliver. So what this distills down into is making sure there is a clear shared understanding of the purpose, the goals and objectives of the organisation and how digital can support that. And then making sure that digital has the right resources, it's got the right understanding of the requirement. And in terms of prioritisation, it's then supporting a prioritisation process that makes sure we spend our precious resources, people and money on the right things at the right time rather than as sometimes can happen, we can be a bit over-enthusiastic and kind of want to say yes to everything. And then we don't do everything as well as we could do. And I'm a great believer in do fewer things really well than do lots of things less well. Do you think you could do business transformation supported by digital without BRM? I think it's very difficult. Again, it depends on the size and maturity of an organisation. So if you've got you know, really great stakeholder management skills, prioritization and demand management skills, let's say in the the leadership of a small IT organization, then they are innately doing business relationship management. And you may not need or be able to justify a dedicated function. But if you're in a large complex organization with hundreds of IT folks going to the other extreme or even thousands, um, you really need a dedicated function to manage, you know, the demand coming in because we all understand a service desk and tickets, you know, my laptop's broken, I need access to something, I've got a new joiner. But where we're getting into those conversations of we need a new project, we need a, an upgrade as part of a roadmap, the management of that demand is absolutely key. And in a large complex organisation, that's very difficult to manage without a dedicated function. So for me, I would have it everywhere, but I would make compromises on what that translated into in terms of numbers of roles and the detail of the roles. And what does a typical BRM function look like to you? Depends on the scale of the organisation, but to give you some examples, I've never had a BRM function that's had double-digit staff in it. It's always been typically um, I would have a a business relationship manager assigned to a division. Um, so in a pharmaceutical organisation, they might be assigned to manufacturing or to the sales or to the research teams. In a hospital, they might be assigned to an individual hospital if the trust has got multiple hospitals. Or if it's one, essentially one hospital, then you might only have one BRM covering that hospital I'm getting a little bit now theoretical. If it was one hospital, but really big, then you might have a business relationship manager per division if there were two, three, four divisions. It's really all about the size of the organisation. One business relationship manager can't serve a highly complex organisation with thousands and thousands of staff. That would be quite difficult. So it's all relative to the scale and complexity of the organisation. Mm -hmm. And are there any cases where BRM isn't required or isn't appropriate? I don't think it's ever 
not required or not appropriate. But as I say, I think you can have people who are doing it very well innately as part of their role. So let's say the CIO. The CIO is the ultimate business relationship manager operating with the board and and colleagues. That is a business relationship management role. And in a very small organization, that might be enough. Um, You might also find sometimes that it ends up being blurred with the people who do business analysis or even project management. I don't particularly agree with it being formally blended with those roles, but in a small organisation where you really struggle to justify, you know, lots of headcount, actually with the right people, you might be able to, to blur the lines a little and mix it. Danger there is some degree of conflict of interest. I'm really glad that you talked about the role of the CIO because that's something that comes up quite a lot in all of the podcasts that we've done. And I know in all of our conversations, show we've talked that um, the role of the CIO is not an order taker, but mm. it, it is an enabler for the organisation. So it'd be good to get your opinion on this. Well, I think that's exactly it. I do see the role of the CIO is is the ultimate business relationship manager because what we're trying to do is understand, as I say, clearly the purpose of the organisation, its goals and objectives, its challenges. And our job is to understand how digital can help. Obviously, also understand the cost of delivering digital services. You know, there are things that we just have to do, the same as we have to have heating and lighting and all of those good things. We have to have networks and we have to have equipment. And, you know, there is a cost of providing those services. But we've always got to look at that in the context of we're here to support our colleagues deliver on the purpose of the organisation. And we have to be mindful of that and make those trade-offs. And that's what good business relationship management is about. I was at an event last night and we were talking about this in the context of cyber. And again, you can't just frighten an organisation and say, I must have this money to spend on these things because I'm the expert of technology and I'm telling you we must. You've got to be able to frame it in the context of, yes, but if I'm being extreme now, But, you know, if patients are going to die because we haven't got the right equipment in radiology or we haven't got enough nurses, I'm sorry, that is going to trump potentially an upgrade to some of our equipment in IT. Our job will have to be to to sweat that a little longer. But there comes a point where that is absolutely unsafe to do so. And by not dealing with those IT issues, then we are putting the organisation at greater risk and the CIO jobs to explain that in the context of the audience they're talking to. And that, for me, is business relationship management. Mm -hmm. I remember in a previous conversation, you talked about empathy and sympathy were two key skills of the CIO. Absolutely, because that's the point, isn't it? You you know, again, I think I might have said to you about an example at a a trust I worked in many years ago. And, you know, we did need, we'd got seven-year-old servers and we really needed to to replace those. It wasn't that they were failing and falling over every day, but they were becoming at a greater and greater risk of that. And obviously there were aspects of their performance and our ability to support them that was problematic. But at the same time, we were in Victorian buildings and I was in the the capital meeting and the head of estates sort of came in and said, I'm afraid we've had a real issue. We've had some windows fallen out. You know, the uh, the wooden frames are just so so rotted. There's not much we can do about it. Thankfully, he said, the glass didn't hit anybody. Now, that's an example where I kind of just thought, you know what, he's got to have, he's got to have the money to replace his windows. We cannot have that level of situation in a hospital. I'll go back and make some compromise with the team and we'll replace some of the servers, but not all of them. 
So you've got to be able to to really be sensible, you know, about the relative risk and the the relative um, urgency for doing things, if you like. And and I think that authenticity, that empathy, then gets you credibility with your colleagues, such what such that when you do say to them, "Look, I'm really sorry." This is absolutely critical. And the reason it's critical is because this is falling over daily now. You know, I'm really challenged with my resources being able to support it. If Fred goes off sick, we are really stuck. And if this falls over and Fred's gone off sick, the service will be down and that will mean you can't treat very sick patients. You know, if you start to talk to folks like that and you've demonstrated in the past that you've made compromises, then actually it's a lot easier in my experience to to then get the support to do the things you need. That's a real good example of managing priorities and managing yes. expectations in a in a real kind of business case. But from the conversations that we've had and today it's clear that the role of the CIO is is all proactiveness. Um yes. you know obviously with some reactiveness but I think that's just part of the job. So it'd be good to get your opinion on the shift a leader will need to go through from a reactive order taker to um a proactive opportunistic leader. I think, as I say, it's it's about being part of that leadership team. And this is where it is, in my view, really critical that the CIO sits at that top table because it, it's not about having an objection to reporting to a really great um, CFO, for example. I, I've worked with some amazing people. You know, one of my best managers was actually a great CFO. Um, but the challenge is they're a CFO, they're not a CIO. And so you're having to feed them information, that automatically makes it, um, to your point, it is proactive but because it's planned, but there is no opportunistic nature to it because you're having to feed information to your, your executive who can then cover things in a planned agenda item in a board meeting. And what you really need is that opportunistic scenario while you're all gathering in the boardroom for a coffee you know, so that you can then have a bit of a chat about, oh, you'll never believe what's just happened, you know. I was hoping we'd get away with this for a bit longer, but I've got a fear that I'm going to have to come back to you guys with some bad news about service XYZ, you know. So you can start to sow the seeds for things so much more easily. If you're on the same corridor as them, you know, you bump into them in the kitchen getting a coffee. And those, for me, are the scenarios where you start to develop that rapport, you develop trust. And then you can raise things as AOBs, you know, in a, a meeting. Having to plan things and feed them through a third party who hasn't done the job, for me, is what makes it very difficult to support the board really understanding why they need to prioritise digital investment. Mm. In your opinion, what do you think the ideal background for a CIO is? Do they need to have a more business background or do you think a techie background is more important? Yeah, it's, a, it's one that will divide people, I think. And based on experience from my point of view to date, I would say it's very, it can be a challenge to be a successful CIO if you've not got a reasonable experience of running or overseeing digital services or technology services, because bluntly, you're then, you are dependent on your direct reports in that you know, set of services, giving you the right information and understanding. And if you've got that, then absolutely. I And I've come across great CIOs who are business backgrounds, they're not technology backgrounds, 
but they need to have really great technology teams and technology leaders in order to help them do that well. If they haven't got those, then I think in terms of leading a digital organisation, a technology team, to give them great leadership, you've got to have some understanding of the world they're operating in. You've got to have some appreciation of, you know, the technologies and strategies and what's new and, and what the challenges are so you can properly support them and give them guidance and advice. So I think it comes, it's, it's not one or the other, but I think you can't have none of it. So you can't be a great CIO with no technology background if you haven't got really great talent as your direct reports. Mm -hmm. But I think if you've got really great talent as your direct reports, you absolutely can. My preference, therefore, would be someone who's got, you know, a good history of having that oversight and leadership of a digital organization. They don't need to be deeply technical people. They don't need to have you know, configured routers or written code, but they need to have been around that digital environment for quite some time. So people who've done business relationship management, people who've managed big programs, you know, so long as they've been around that digital environment for a good while and they've got enough of an understanding to provide good good leadership, I think it's okay. But my preference is probably some degree of depth of, of leadership of digital for a while. Just picking up on what you said earlier about having a, a strong leadership team, and it'd be good to get your opinion and your approach to how you build uh, a strong leadership capability ready for transformation. Well, I think there's obviously sort of a mix there. So to some degree, sometimes you do have to go and buy that in, either on a, a temporary basis or you know from the marketplace to add some experience and capability into an existing team. But this is where the point we've just touched on about the skills and experience of the um, of the CIO themselves. Clearly, if the CIO's got a, a reasonable background in understanding how to deliver great digital services, then the CIO can is more able to develop their teams themselves. If you've got that very strong business background, they may have great man management capabilities, but they won't necessarily have the the depth of experience to direct and guide, particularly when you come to key strategies, you know, things around managed service, cloud, those sorts of things, software-defined networking. You know, if you've got no real appreciation and experience of those things, it's a little bit challenging to then provide the right leadership and guidance to a less experienced team. So again, sorry, it's a politician's answer. It it does depend, I think. It's, it does depend on your experience as the CIO and what you can personally bring and what gaps you've got and therefore whether you can you can step down to support the development of one of your team or whether you need to bring in temporarily or permanently some some experienced resources to help. Joe, those are all my questions. So thank you so much for your time today. Um, have you got any last minute thoughts at all? No, not really, I think, other than I just think it's, you know, ultimately... I'm, you know, I don't have a binary view of things black or white. I think it's always shades of grey and permutations. So I think it's about understanding the importance that digital is here to serve an organisation. And therefore, the most important thing that digital can do is understand the purpose of the organisation, understand how digital can support, but then make sure 
that those conversations are always in the context of the purpose of the organisation and its challenges and priorities. I think we should never be trying to frighten, demand or just say, we're the experts, we're telling you this is what we need to do. And I think, you know, whether that's the CIO or the whole of the organisation, I think that for me is is the key thing. It's not about going along and saying, I'm a techie person, I know tech and I'm telling you, we need to spend millions on the network. You know, that's, in my view, not not really the way to do it. But how you go about doing that, I think is, you know, multiple multiple solutions to that brilliant thanks again for your time joe